0: Hello and welcome to Bitcoin with Jake. Today we have Mr. Dennis Porter. Welcome, Dennis.
1: Welcome. Welcome to me.
0: <laughs> uh, welcome thank to you. Me.
1: I'm, so be, I'm so used to being the, uh, the <laughs> host of the show that I say welcome back. How funny is that? Uh, thanks so for having me on, seat. Jake. You're in the hot seat. Yeah, today. I appreciate it, dude. It's, it's fun to be on the other side of these things.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, so you're in the hot seat today, 100%. So um, I always start in the same way. Um, please, could you introduce yourself and give us a little update as to the projects you're working in today?
1: Yeah, uh, my name is Dennis Porter. I am a Bitcoin advocate, political strategist, and a media, I don't know, I wouldn't call myself a a guru or an expert, but I I spent a lot of my time doing media, social media with Twitter, also going to be launching a new show here, been doing podcasting with Bitcoin for some time, but we're going to be taking it live here May 4th, so I'm really excited about that project launching. I'm also working with the Bitcoin Advocacy Project. Uh, as well as a few other political organizations to push Bitcoin forward, like I said, as a political strategist perspective. So a lot of things cooking in the kitchen. Uh, that's, a, that's like the way I like to do it, though.
0: Awesome. Well, I cannot wait to get into all of this, essentially. So um, yeah, I mean, let's zoom out a bit and take a step back. Where, where was home? Where did this journey all begin from? And, um, you know, were you always interested in politics as a student, perhaps? Or were you working in the media business before Bitcoin came along? Um, Bitcoin's only 10 years old, give or take. uh, And therefore, there's generally some history prior to that. So I'd love to learn a lot more about, um, you know, where it all started.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would be remiss of not saying that I'm also recently the executive producer for Compass Mining as well. Really like loving those guys. They're going to be helping me launch the, yeah, they're going to be helping me launch the new show. So I'm very excited about that. Going back, man, I mean, I have a lot of interesting history. If you go far enough back, you know, I'm just a normal guy, normal kid growing up in the Pacific Northwest, but, uh, you know, homeschooled and in and out of public school, but never really found a fit kind of a awkward young guy when I was much younger, eventually when I was 16, my parents decided to move to Mexico and we moved to Juarez, Mexico for three years. We lived there on the border we spent a lot of our time building homes, orphanages, feeding uh, kids that were on the street, educating them, you know, spreading. We were also missionaries while we were there, so we are spreading, you know, the gospel to them uh, and really trying to find a way to help people there on the street to have a better life. Funny thing is, though, is, you know, when you're there and you're in those environments, oftentimes people who have much less are so much happier on a regular basis than the average American and, you know, we have so much here. So I always find that as an interesting takeaway from my time there and my experience in Mexico, but spent three years there in Mexico uh, doing all sorts of things, you know, everything, like I said, from building home store orphanages to standing on stages with 5,000 people and, and doing solo shows for Christmas events. Um, that was my f- not my first time on stage. I kind of grew up on the stage doing lots of uh, church plays, school plays, Um, but after I left Mexico, I came back to Oregon, my, my home area. I was in Vancouver, Washington, originally Vancouver, Washington and and Portland, Oregon are like right next to each other on the border. There came back here and my parents left and moved to El Salvador and they've been there for well over 12 years now doing all sorts of mission work from, you know, up and down the, up and down the area there. It's a mostly focused on helping single mothers, be able to go to school and go to church, go to college while the children are being watched. There's a ton of other programs that they do. So I would uh, definitely encourage people to go check out the the stuff for my parents' work. Um, I'll I'll share a link with you so you can share that with your audience. But kind of like spent some time on my own for the first bit in my early 20s, just totally alone for the first time ever, away from my family, Had my own moment where I kind of left the church and fell away from that lifestyle, you know, swung really far to the left politically. Started out, you know, really, really far on the right and um, conservative. And I still love a lot of the conservative values that are held today by uh, people in this country, especially the economic ones. And had my own experience, swung to the left. And in that time period, I became exposed to this idea that money is a big problem and that it's corrupting things all over the place. I began to realize how badly it was impacting the political system, something that I had been focused on for quite a long time in my life. Growing up, my dad would listen to talk radio. I'd listen to Rush Limbaugh, listen to Hannity before he had a TV show. And so I always kind of was very keenly aware of the things that were going on in our country. And so, when I realized what the big problem was and that it was money, I became hyper focused on it and it kind of became like a single issue for me. Like I'm wearing my single Bitcoin single issue voter shirt today. Like th- this was a single issue for me previously was pushing back and making sure that money couldn't pour into these elections and corrupt the system. Inevitably after things like citizens United, I don't know if you've, you, this is American politics, right? But citizens United was what led to corporations and super PACs forming which resulted in massive amounts of money being dumped into elections. And the problem with that was, is those that fought against it would lose because they wouldn't, you know, you can't say, oh, I'm against super PACs. I'm against big money in politics and then take big money and take super PAC money and take that corrupted, you know, get, go within the corrupted system and say, oh, I'm going to fix it. Like, that's not, that's not something that you can sell to people. So a lot of the folks who were very anti big money in politics ended up getting washed out because they didn't have millions of dollars supporting their political endeavors. So I lost my kind of focus on that as an issue, saw it as something that was not fixable, realized that the, polit- the, the political system that we're in today is, is really too corrupt, monetarily especially, to, to be fixed from, you know, legislation. You, can't, you cannot make corruption, you know, you can't legislate it away it'll always find its way back into the system. And so that was something that was a big part of why I fell in love with Bitcoin. Um, initially it was, you know, some random person saying, oh, you know, I, there's this anonymous internet money. And I thought, you know, bullshit, you know, there's no way you can't have anonymous internet money. That's what piqued my interest, right? Started studying it, quickly realized it's not totally anonymous, but still it was what piqued my curiosity. Fell, uh, down the rabbit hole, discovered Andreas Antonopoulos. And the thing that really set me free and really made me realize how important Bitcoin was is its ability to remove the incentive to want to corrupt politics. So I'm going a little long here, but let me explain this last part because this is important I'm loving it. Why Bitcoin is so important. Um, You can't legislate away corruption because there is too much of an incentive to corrupt the political world that we live in today, right? Like the federal government, the president, the house, the Senate, way too much power. And there's no way you're going to be able to stop special interests, large money groups, um, high net worth individuals, multinationals from dumping money into elections because there's too much power to be had. So they'll always find a way around this corruption. It's like trying to stop water. Like it's gonna find its way through. And so what we need to do is instead of trying to remove or make it illegal for someone to corrupt politics, right? Because it's not, you can't stop it. It's, they're always find a way, a loophole, always find a way through. We know that. You need to disincentivize the desire to corrupt politics. And the way we do that is with Bitcoin. That's one way, right? Because currently the most powerful tool that the federal government has is the unlimited money printer. And the decision to where that unlimited money gets spent. But right now, if you decide to say, hey, I'm gonna fight against the corruption, I'm gonna fight against everything, you really can't, you really can't have a dent until you start talking about the unlimited money printer because that's the ultimate power that if, it, it, it overshadows every other aspect of government. It is the ultimate power of our generation. And so whoever wields it wields incredible power. And so that's why large money, special interests, uh, high net worth individuals, multinationals. That's why they want control of the federal government because then they get to decide where the unlimited money gets spent. We all know how Bitcoin works. Bitcoin essentially pulls power away from that fiat system and gives it back to the people or just get, distributes it broadly so that no one has the power to print money. So ultimately this is what we're doing is we're disincentivizing people from spending money in federal elections. I mean, look at, for instance, like my home state of Oregon, there is no cap on money spending here. Literally, like you can spend as much money as you want. It's, it's legal. And when you look at that and you go, okay, well, that's interesting because why aren't people spending billions of dollars in the state of Oregon? Because there's no power. Like how much power can you really have? It's a pretty big state, but there's it's not a lot of population. Um, it's a mild amount of industry, uh, not, nothing compared to like states like California, Texas, or New York. And so it's like, why aren't people spending billions of dollars? Because there's no, incentive, there's no there's nothing to be gained. There's nothing to be won by spending a billion dollars. I mean, yeah, you gain some power, but the ROI isn't there. So it's not really about when you look at the federal government, like caps and preventing it. It's like, we need to shrink the federal government. And the number one way we can shrink the government is by getting onto a Bitcoin standard.
0: I love it. That's all over now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just finish that. Yeah. Oh. Dennis is too much to touch on. Wow, we could go for hours. Um, thank you. That was a, a wonderfully succinct and um, and good explanation as to kind of what brought you to today um, we 're going to dive into different aspects to it for sure um, where i 'd love to start is what 's it like growing up in a religious family and um, doing work that 's clearly very people focused and mission driven uh, and then and dropping out of that world like perhaps just a bit more flavor to, you know, what it was like growing up in a family like that. And then to suddenly find yourself in a position where you're not thinking the same way. And, and how do those two worlds look very different or do they look very different?
1: Yeah. Uh, so very different when, you know, when you grow up in that sense, that type of a family, um, which again, like going back, I love a lot of the stuff that came from my upbringing. I, there was a lot of values and a lot of wisdom that comes from the bible that i still use today right but and, and i when i believed i you know i felt like i truly believed. this isn't something that i was half in half out i just kind of woke up one day and realized that i wasn't once my family was gone i was by myself like i wasn't really practicing anything anymore and maybe it's because the support system was gone. I'm not sure. But when, but when you're growing up in it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's all consuming. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a big part of everything that you do in your life. You know, you're going to church every, every Sunday, you're hanging out with religious people. Your, your worldview is definitely shifted. You, you see things through this lens of there's something beyond this life and that you want others to, you know, have an opportunity to have that future as well, because it's, you know, it's a bright future that, that is taught in the Bible. If you, uh, you know, accept Jesus Christ's gift, uh, you know, of his, uh, sacrifice. So growing up in it, for me, it was a great experience. I had great parents, loving parents and never had anything happen to me that I would say was like, Oh, this is, this is why I left the church. You know, a lot of people have these horror stories of, Mm -hmm. Oh, I left the church because uh, my pastor was X, Y, Z or someone abused me or someone was violent or it's not what it cracked up to be. And God screwed me over. Like nothing really happened like that to me. Just kind of woke up one day and, and, and it's just kind of faded away after my family left. And on the other side of that, you know, personally for myself, I, I had a weight lifted off of me because for a long time, I felt like I had to be a certain way and act a certain way. And for the first time ever, I got to kind of determine what I thought was right and wrong and what I thought was uh, good for me and uh, was good for the world. And in the beginning, it was a lot of bad decisions, right? (laughs) Lots of mistakes. Uh, That's part of life, you know, it's (laughs)
0: important to make mistakes. Yeah.
1: It fell into pretty heavy alcohol consumption, smoking cigarettes, drinking, um, partying pretty hard, so drug use, um, and, you know, ended up becoming, a, like, a club promoter, so all I did was just party all day long, um, stayed up <laughs> to, like, 4 or 5 a.m. pretty much every day. Like, I just went off the deep end, really, right? Like, yeah. you know, the, to some extent, it was, the stories are true. Like, oftentimes, people go off the deep end when they leave the church, but I I, I went off the deep end, and... Drove it like as far as I could, ended up developing a very severe form of epilepsy Oh wow! Uh, at the, well, I was probably like 20, 23, so it was about 10 years ago. Uh, you know, sometimes the dates are fuzzy, but got to the point where the epilepsy was so bad that I had to retire from my club promotion work and ended up getting into a place where I was on medication all the time and as someone who has been in front of people who was like kind of raised to be a pastor and always had this like idea that i would be a public speaker and really saw myself as someone who needed to be out talking and sharing ideas and thoughts it it was really really scary for me because it got to a point where the medication was so strong i couldn't put words in front of each other. So like my sentences, like I would be thinking, it's like, you know, when you're trying to remember someone's name or you're trying to remember uh, a certain word, like every once in a while, like you're having that problem and you're like, dang it. Like, what's that word? It was like that for like trying to put one word in front of each other. So just constant, hard, heavy uh, brain fog. And so almost like I was a zombie and I just woke up one day and I was like, this is it, like my life's over. I'll never be able to accomplish what I want to accomplish in life. Um, and it was like, basically rock bottom for me. And so I woke up and I just, one day was like, I got to do whatever I got to do to, to, to reverse this and to go back, to get back to somewhere. And so that's when I started focusing on my health a lot. So fitness, what I'm eating, uh, stopped drinking. I stopped drinking for, I think three years completely stopped smoking marijuana completely. Um, obviously stopped drug usage completely. Uh, the biggest thing was also finding a physical therapist. If anybody out there, this is what I say. I say this in every show that I'm on because every once in a while someone reaches out to me and has a and their life completely changed. But if you ever need a physical therapist for brain disorders, there's a guy in Oregon who does miracles for Tourette's, epilepsy, traumatic brain injury, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what the brain injury is. It doesn't matter what the malfunction is or the dysfunction. Uh, reach out to me because this guy is literally is like um, it, I, 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 when he was doing it to me I was calling it voodoo magic because I couldn't believe how well it was working and how little it's talked about in in the current medical world like they just want to dope dope you up this guy gets you off medication so he got me off medication um and now I'm like 99.9% better I used to be having grand mal seizures like full blown knock you out grand mal seizures very regularly um and then smaller seizures every day and now I'm I go days without even just like small ones like small ones would be like my hand twitching and stuff like that. Like sometimes that still occurs, but pretty dramatic turnaround. So if anybody has a family member, please reach out, happy to share that contact with them. Um, but yeah, then after that, I, you know, I started setting a foundation for myself of health and wellness first and then move forward from there during around that time. Uh, like I said, it was kind of when I was also kind of when I was finding Bitcoin. So I medically retired and was totally on my own. Um, started looking a lot into getting involved with politics. Started looking a lot into getting involved with with Bitcoin. Found Bitcoin in 2017. Ended up mining right away. Started started mining. Put had like Ended up getting like 20 ASICs in my garage. Had a really great time mining Bitcoin. Um, but didn't do anything until with Bitcoin publicly. Didn't talk about it. it was a total anon until... January 2021. And that's the first time I jumped on clubhouse to start speaking about Bitcoin. And I remember that first time I jumped on because I was sweating bullets. I used to actually have horrible stage fright, even back in the day when I was doing these big events, horrible stage fright. And, um, but you know, Bitcoin is the one thing that's made me fight ruthlessly to overcome that stage fright. Um, so now I'm talking about Bitcoin, speaking about Bitcoin regularly, um, traveling all over the country to share my views on Bitcoin, even though there's probably better people that can speak about it, but I'm happy to jump up and raise my hand whenever needed. Well, I mean, Dennis,
0: I, I have to jump in at that point. The more people that speak about this, the better. So, yeah. you know, and, and it's funny, I was going to draw back to this. You've, you've segued nicely in a sense. <clears throat> I was going to ask you, um, from from your religious beginnings um, and the family unit that you grew up with, like, what characteristics have you, have you savored or kept that you still hold value today. So is that kind of basic foundation growing up in a family as a teenager. And you were obviously heavily involved in spreading the, the the story of the religion you were involved in. And there's something very religious about Bitcoin. And, um, you know, perhaps it was all meant to be, right? But are any of those characteristics that you think might have come through your life with you from that upbringing that now apply to Bitcoin? And, you know, this this whole doesn't matter if you're a non or if you're out in the open, this, this, this culture of the plebs, the Bitcoin plebs, I love it. It's people like you and I getting up and just talking about the stuff we've learned about. Um, Yeah. Do you think, do you think there's any um, uh, like constants from that time as a teenager that you brought through to today? And amazingly, you've obviously then shared all of these, um, you know, Basically, you partied like an animal for a few years, which, don't get me wrong, everyone does. And perhaps you had a few years to make up for, and hence it got a bit more intense than it needed to. But um, <laughs> the, yeah. the, it's, it's like you've kind of come full circle naturally anyway. And I wonder if some of those characteristics from before played a part in that. So, yeah, could you talk to that a little bit?
1: Uh, I would have to say one of my favorite characteristics that wasn't always um, held up just because we are naturally as humans, I think a little messed up inside, but one of my favorite things that I think I pull from the Bible and still to this day is like not to judge people, not to judge their motives or the reasons why they're doing what they're doing. Um, I think it's, there's a lot of moral hazard in trying to interpret why people are doing what they're doing. In fact, I've come to this place now where I don't even think it matters with Bitcoin if why you're doing what you're doing. Bitcoin is one of the first unique movements in human history, where even if you're selfishly motivated, like you're just here to get famous, you're just here to make money. Bitcoin will still like gain value from your desire to do that because the only way to really get famous in Bitcoin is to go do cool shit, right? Like, look what Jack Mallers is doing. That dude's like a superstar now. But why? Because he's adding incredible amounts of value. Is that his motive? I don't think so. But if it was, would you be like, no, Jack Mallers shouldn't be doing that because his motives are wrong? I I don't think so. Um, Look at Sailor. Sailor literally is like one of the most famous people in the entire world right now. He gets 50,000, 100,000, 200,000 views on YouTube shows or podcasts where like some of the most powerful people in the world will get five or 10, but how did he get there? He added incredible amounts of value to the Bitcoin network. Again, would you be mad if you found out he did it because he knew it would make him famous? Maybe some people would be disappointed, but I wouldn't care. I want people to add value to Bitcoin and the Bitcoin network, regardless of what their motivation is, whether they want to get famous, whether they want to get rich or whether they want to do good things for the world. For moral reasons, like, you know, ultimately that's the great thing about Bitcoin, right? Is it is you're morally incentivized, economically incentivized, and even socially incentivized, which are the three key incentive structures in the entire planet. There's really no other incentive. Are you going to do something good for the world? Moral incentive? Like a lot of people are very heavily morally incentivized in the Bitcoin community, especially draws those type of people in because it's one of the greatest goods that you could ever do for the world economically incentivized, you will get rich. There is no argument about that. You will gain wealth. You buy Bitcoin, you hold on to it. You will be much wealthier than you were last year. Or typically, you know, it's like a four year period. You know, you're, you're up like what, what is it? Three, 400%. So, cause it's up 100% per year. I don't know. We don't need to do the math. It changes all the time. And then socially, no one knew who I was like 16 months ago. Now I have 90,000 followers on Twitter. Um, and every time I talk to someone in the political world, they're like, "Dude, everybody knows who you are," and there is a reason for that. It's because I stay, I get up every day and I figure out how can I push Bitcoin forward in the United States. Because I know two things: one, I live here in America, and I want Bitcoin to be protected here. People get mistaken a lot when they see me getting political. They think, "Oh, he thinks Bitcoin needs to be protected." No, I think the United States needs to be protected. I think the united states needs to fight to make sure that it doesn't fall into total collapse and disaster by making a critical error when it comes to the future of bitcoin look what china did it's like they just ruined their country for like potentially the advantage that they had like they're never going to get that advantage back it's, it's impossible it's like 60 percent of the hash rate now they have almost zero a lot of that came to the us and that was a huge benefit to america um so going back I, I want to make sure we secure that. I want to make sure it stays here because I'm an American and I want Bitcoin to do well here because I like Bitcoin. I think it's going to do incredible things for our country. It's going to do incredible things for the world. Uh, and it's going to do, I think it's going to go far beyond what any of us are imagining. I I, I'm pretty hyper bullish on it. I'll stay hyper bullish on it. But for me, it's like, what's the incentive, right? Economic moral, I'm doing good things. Social, like I try to ignore it, but I'm a human being. Like I just acknowledge that it's real. Sailor, Sailor super famous. Jack Myler's super famous. Adam Back super famous. Anybody who adds a lot of value to Bitcoin gets famous. And I can sit here and pretend that it doesn't incentivize me. But anybody who tries to say that to themselves is, you know, you're ignoring human nature. Human nature is you're incentivized morally, economically, and socially no matter what. You can't stop it that's just the way we are built and bitcoin is the first movement in, in human history that aligns all three of those regardless of whether you're being doing it for selfish motives do, do i b- want to believe that i'm doing it for the right reason of course everybody does but ultimately we're we are hum- we are animals and we are always going to succumb to those three incentive structures i don't think there's any way around it
0: the funny part to the conclusion of this though is to your point, in some senses, one is helping to um, promote a meritocracy. So you may own more Bitcoin than anyone else in the whole world, but you can't change it. Quite unlike the guys with right. the money printer that you touched on at the start of the uh, the conversation, who are able to then influence future democratic processes with a shitload of money that they just invent out of fucking nowhere.
1: Right.
0: And so. I love that point. I haven't had anyone really make that before, which is even if you think someone is a selfish wannabe and they're promoting Bitcoin, it's like no news is bad news. Like it's only going to improve a, uh, a rock or a foundation or I don't know what you want to call it, like the bedrock of a future societal system, um, which is yes. an incredible thought process to go through. If, if you um, add
1: value to Bitcoin, Bitcoin will add value to you. It doesn't care. It's a, it's a protocol. It has no emotion. It doesn't, doesn't care if you are. Yeah. Doesn't care what your motive is. It doesn't even sense your motivation. It, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't understand motivation. It only understands, are you adding value to the network? And if you're adding value to the network, for some reason, I, which I haven't figured out, Bitcoin adds value to you. And, yeah. and people will take this and they'll say, Dennis is doing it for selfish reasons. That's why he's saying that. That's why he wants to bring this up so that he can give himself you know, a, a a gate to walk through in order to say, Oh, it's fine for me to do it for selfish reasons. That's not true. I've tried to tell people this. I've tried to tell them over and over again. I usually get shouted down. Um, and told they, people tell me it's horrible. It's a horrible message to send. I think it's a great message to send. I think you should be telling people, Hey, you can be selfish and still have an incredibly positive impact on everyone around you, because regardless of what we think about other people, certain human beings will always be selfish. Like they're kind of programmed that way, maybe from childbirth, maybe because of, uh, you know, what they say environmental or genetic reasons, maybe they're a sociopath who knows, but I want everyone to be included in the Bitcoin network because Bitcoin is for everyone. And I'd much rather those people work to the benefit of Bitcoin and have a positive impact morally and economically on every person that Bitcoin touches by adding value to the network instead of doing the opposite of that, because I don't like that they're doing it for selfish reasons. So I don't want them to work on Bitcoin. I don't. I just don't agree with that. I think everybody should be included to work on Bitcoin, and we should celebrate all the work, all good work on Bitcoin, regardless of the person's motivation.
0: But to your point, no, Bitcoin doesn't give a fuck. it yeah. literally doesn't give a fuck. You can tell for whatever reason you want, and you can say for whatever reason you want, and people can say you shouldn't say that for whatever reason they want. But it doesn't care. <laughs> my brother recently asked me, said, Jake, what do you think the kind of diversity metric is with Bitcoin? And I kind of like scoffed slightly, which is a bit mean. But um, he'd listened to my first episode, which is with Knut Svenholm. And it's a great oh, story to, to Knut's um, background and why he became an author, etc. Um, but like, you know, my bro's thinking, you know, middle class white male. Is everyone in Bitcoin a middle class white, white male? And I'm like, well first of all, Bitcoin doesn't care. If you're a middle-class white male, it doesn't care. And anyone involved in the Bitcoin network doesn't care either because it can't. Like it's, it's just a, a set of rules. Um, Absolutely. It, it, it doesn't matter. And then of course you can start to explain some of the incredible stories you hear. You know, my favorite YouTube that came out of the Bitcoin conference was Bitcoin is freedom and Alex Gladstein talking to you and me park and, um, some other people from around the world that have seen insane impacts of a neutral monetary network in places that are essentially under like huge oppression. And you think, oh, you know, the question is the diversity, you know, what's it like? It's just stupid in the first place when you start even investigating slightly what's actually going on. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting angle to take, Dennis. Thanks for sharing that. I'd like to um, to go back a bit to the the political corruption that you saw and um how potentially bitcoin fixes this but you you mentioned that um you know you you left uh the church per se and you ended up falling heavily down into the political sphere can you tell us a little bit more about what that process was like and what you became interested in and why it was uh, important to you Uh, and you know how how does bitcoin impact that and i i see this on twitter in terms of you know i've followed you for a while now and there's definitely a political angle that is a passion point for you so let's talk a bit about that for a bit
1: yeah so i ended up jumping into politics as a like as work or a career roughly around 2015 um i i was so that was more of like an advocacy time, um, got really engaged, really involved, really concerned. Inevitably the outcome of that election was just wild, right? Like it was all over the place. And I kind of became disillusioned with the process after that, especially after just particularly I was, you know, in, in Oregon, I was very much aware of what was going on in the Bernie Sanders race. I, I also as a single U voter liked the idea just this idea, right? I didn't like everything else that he was pushing forward, but I liked the idea that he was pushing back against the the special money, uh, special interests, um, big money in politics thing. Like he saw the problem of all this money in politics and the corruption it would cause. No one else was talking about it. So I, I became aware of his race and then watched as the Democrat Party just like completely annihilated him uh, pretty much against the will of the voter. And so became just very disillusioned with the political process, but still loved it. Still loved the, the it's it's raw, it's real, right? It's, it's, it's and, very Dennis, different.
0: If I, could, if I could ask you just to flesh out a little bit, like when you say advocacy and really getting involved, like what what do you mean? Like what is like on a day-to-day basis? You were part of an organization that was helping the Democratic Party, or your local representative, or you're out talking to people on the streets, or just, just yeah, just get a little more color, if you.
1: So can. it was pretty, yeah, no, it was pretty mild in the beginning, but get, being politically engaged, talking to people, um, being involved. I don't know what you it's not a protest, like a rally, like going to rallies. Yep. Um, being like a public speaking
0: speaking th- or something. Yep. Yep.
1: Absolutely. And being engaged in that level of advocacy. So, so less of I, like, I take a step back and say, less of a career, more of just like being a part of a movement. Mm-hmm. And after that process became very disillusioned, but still very fascinated and have always been drawn to politics as a paid like career. And that's when I decided to go get trained by a political organization to do campaign management started studying extent might have books behind me that are like started just studying different political ideologies and then also how to manage campaigns and just became obsessed with the idea of like that I could impact the political system through my endeavors and through my efforts, um, got trained, immediately turned around, started helping a guy in Florida who I met there also helped several candidates here in Oregon as well. And it it was really, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. There was some (laughs) fun moments like uh, where I did some, you know, what do you call that? Roger Stone type stuff like behind the, you know, that's a a little bit of a a hot topic, that guy, but just kind of very like behind the closed doors, like helping to make stuff happen. Like I call them X factor moments. I'm a big fan of creating your own X factor. I have a whole theory on, on campaigns and how to win them and how to unseat incumbents. And that you, you need to sort of Yeah, sh- yeah, sure. It's, I mean, yeah, so you need, I'd love to hear it. Uh, campaigns are storied by X factor moments, similar to life. Right. But you, you know, you have a time window life. You can, you know, you make mistakes and make mistakes and you, know, you finally bounce back. Right. Campaigns like you have to, you have to get it to be in a good place at a specific time window. And so you need these, X factor moments, positive X factor moments or negative ones for your opponent to regularly occur. And especially when you're trying to unseat an incumbent, if you, if you don't get them consistently enough, you won't win. Um, I try to think of lots of different X factor moments that make sense to a lot of people that have either a negative or positive impact, but there's none that's easier than Trump and COVID, right? We probably have to bleep that out, but, um, the, I don't know if you're putting this on YouTube or not. So, uh, but. If, if the pandemic hadn't hit, like it's arguable, obviously some people would like to debate it with me, but it's arguable that he would still be president, right? Because it was such a, such a negative spin at the end of his first um, time in office. And so it really, you know, things were going, if you, I don't know if everyone remembers, but things were going pretty well actually for, for him as far as like policy wise and, and economically and things were chugging along. You could could make some argument that some other X-Factor moments may have occurred, but that was an X-Factor moment that dramatically shifted the narrative of the race. Uh, I can talk to you all day about why, but I am of a personal belief as a political strategist. That's my opinion. If people want to debate that with me, happy to come back on and debate it. Uh, But campaigns are are storied by these these X-Factor moments that occur, and I like to be someone who not only just observes them and takes advantage of them for the campaigns that I'm working on but it actually creates them. And I've done that multiple times in various races. Um, I've done it in Oregon and I've, I've done it in other, I try not to talk about it like too much, just cause some stuff is like private information, but you have to be willing to see something and go, that's what we need to do because it'll cause this to happen. And this to happen. It's like second and third order, it's like playing chess a little bit. Um, but one of them I can share a little bit about was uh, there were two candidates, three candidates running in a race. And they're in a primary, there's a dude that keeps winning all the time, this old guy. And the two people that I was friends with in the primary, if they stayed in the race together, they would never beat the old dude. He had too strong of a base. But the old dude who would win his primary kept going on to lose against his opponent. So everyone in the district was like, we need to figure out a way to get someone else to give them a shot to go after the incumbent. Cause this guy's not cutting it. He's, he's already tried like four times and lost the two people I knew were not going to leave the race. Right. They were, they were there. They're, they were like all in on the race. And so after some phone calls, and some conversations, I was able to convince one of them to leave the race and run for a different office, a higher office. That's typically the only way it'll work. People will never run for a lower office. They'll never drop down. Yeah. So if they ended up running for the higher office, both of them won their primaries and then, um, that's kind of like the story, right? It's like, I, but I created that moment where and created that conversation. And because of that conversation, both of them were able to win their primaries. So that's kind of like Uh, one way of like creating an X-Factor moment.
0: I've actually, um, uh, I've got friends get involved in politics, but no one's ever been involved in more from a bureaucratic perspective. They work as civil servants or, um, you know, I've got parents, generation, friends who have actually been, um, members of parliament in the UK, but, um, it's fascinating, okay? Because obviously, campaign management—this is a, a high, like it's a proper skill set. It's a very important part of a, a politician's um, kind of march towards, you know, a position, so to speak. Um, and it's incredibly relevant to Bitcoin. Like, you know, one of the biggest things people will say: oh, I'm not buying that stuff because the government's going to ban it." Why? You know, and, and what a what a rabbit hole that is to go down. Um, we'll, we'll get there eventually. The in 2017, you came across Bitcoin. You'd had this process where the election in the states had gone in such a way that you were just like, "Fuck this! This is I can't necessarily utilize the view that you'd previously had, where you could you could make things change from the inside with the set of skills." And then you came across this neutral money network that was radical, yet very refreshing. I'm sure compared to the system you've been trying to work within. So. Perhaps you can just speak a little around um, what you, you know, did you have a friend who told you about it or like, what was the first day you first, you know, really started looking at Bitcoin and and then we'll veer back around and and understand, you know, what a difference it might make from a perspective of politics.
1: Yeah. So politics and Bitcoin, were all kind of taking off at the same time as far as getting involved and also learning about Bitcoin and understanding the ramifications of the technology. Politics came a little bit first Um, when that crumbled, like that initial first endeavor, I I found Bitcoin shortly after that. And then after I found Bitcoin, I started getting really into it. I was like obsessed reading books, got Mastering Bitcoin behind me, was reading through that constantly, really appreciated Bitcoin from the Andreas Antonopoulos approach, who's the author of that book of its ability to bank the unbanked and have a positive impact on the disenfranchised and the less privileged around the world. Some time went on and then I got back into politics and started to try to make a career out of it despite the corrupt system. I was like, I still love it, right? And then after that had occurred and I kind of, well, t- 2020 was like the end of my political career that had nothing to do with Bitcoin. Right, because the pandemic hit, and I had a campaign that I was managing that was entirely dependent on knocking doors. And so, because of that, it was like the the campaign was over. Like we couldn't wow, yeah. knock doors in the middle of a pandemic. Like nobody's <laughs> gonna answer, right? Or they're gonna like get call away a from cop. My door. I mean, they, yeah, they're yeah. like gonna lose their minds. That's a that's a great way to lose a vote is to be running and then like show up at someone's doorstep at, at the height of the pandemic. So after that is when I took a little very short short break from pretty much anything just cause everybody was right. Like we're all like stuck in our homes mm. and just really became obsessed with the idea that I needed to, I need, really needed to start talking about Bitcoin. I had been wanting to talk about it for a long time, but was a private non-public Bitcoiner public person, but not, not a public Bitcoiner. Like I didn't tell anybody that I owned Bitcoin. I never talked about it at all, actually. Um, mm. uh, even with a lot, maybe like one or two people like that I worked really closely with knew that I was I was a Bitcoiner, but just was very concerned about privacy and, you know, getting $5 wrench attacked, whatever, I, you know, th- th- we all had our like, uh, yeah. paranoid paranoia, around Bitcoin, but just woke up one day and realized like, I just, I need to get over it. If Michael Saylor is going to YOLO his entire life into talking about Bitcoin, this guy's got so much credibility and he has his entire life that he's built. And now he's going to YOLO into Bitcoin, doesn't care what people think about him. I'm like, why do I care about myself when you got this guy over here? So he was a big inspiration for me to become a public Bitcoiner. That's why when I say, like, I I just don't care if he did it for selfish reasons because it helped me become public and talk about Bitcoin and share Bitcoin. And all the work that I'm doing to defend Bitcoin in the USA arguably might not have occurred if it wasn't for him. And I'm not the only one. There are countless stories of people who just said, screw it, I'm going all in. I'm going to go all in on Bitcoin, whether financially, economically, um, with their their pocketbooks, or with their time and their energy. More people are working on Bitcoin today because of Michael Saylor being so public and so confident about his position. Uh, mm. So I'm, I, I don't care if people do it for selfish reasons because it leads to more good things happening for Bitcoin.
0: Mm. It's so true. I, I, and I also confess like hugely... Um, how do you say, influential in my thinking. Um, My personal stories, just to share that for a second, was more around, so I had an inheritance and my father died when I was very young, 20 years old. I suddenly had this money. It's like, well, how the fuck do I look after this? And, um, you know, I ended up investing in a number of different assets. Saving and investment are not synonymous. You take risk when you invest, but in an inflationary environment, you can't save. And for 10 years, I've been trying to solve this problem with, you know, some successes, but also some failures. And then suddenly, here's a guy, you know, stock listed CEO, founder of the business. He's got a legal department, he's got an accounting department, he's got shareholders to, you know, prove that he's done the right thing to, and he just bought 400 million bucks worth of this stuff. And it was in a specific interview with Raul Pal, I remember it, Bitcoin infiltrates corporate America. And he did, much like we're having now, a conversation with Raoul Pal, about his background at MIT and you know his, his, his upbringing and then becoming an entrepreneur. And, and the one phrase that really got me was like, how do I know that the person who's in charge of my company a hundred years from now has got the best chance of survival? I'm buying Bitcoin. And that to me as someone who is interested in preserving family wealth is exactly yeah. the same lens that i had been trying to use for 10 years and had never found a suitable solution, right? Everything's got management fees or risks or you name it, right? Um, so I'm I'm completely with you, Dennis. Like, what an awesome bloke! Thank you to him for all his work he does in, in making this subject so much more accessible. And I'm not an engineer; I never will be. It's a it's a black spot in my personal, um, let's say, skill set. And therefore, with such an engineer centric technology like this like you need someone else to go and have a look at it and say "No, no this does actually work and then to be able to trust them on a youtube video that's another big step that probably wasn't previously possible but um you know you you can have a mentor on youtube you've never met like a lot of people would never even consider that to be is that real no you can't you've got to shake them by the hand and find out who they are it's like traditionally how we would think about this stuff but the, the access to education, et cetera, is just so different these days. And Of course, the tricky bit is filtering what's right and wrong. And I fucked around with some ICOs. I bought a whole lot of other stuff that didn't make any sense. And, you know, you suddenly start to think, well, hang on, what's the real problem we've got here? And you realize money has been a problem for humans forever and ever and yeah. ever. And suddenly, whoa, digital scarcity has been invented. This is pretty mega. And down the rabbit hole you go. And it's wonderful. And here I am talking to you and... Um, it, it, it strikes me, the, the thing I find so rich about these conversations is everyone's lens is different. So I've just shared a little about why Bitcoin became important for me from the perspective I was in, but the the political world you're operating in, was that was your lens, right? And you're going, hang on, this might change something. So, right. so to then, you know, to, 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 to pass the conversation back to yourself, like moving forwards, what is the world going to look like when um, democracy perhaps still exists and the political parties operate within those democracies don't have access to a money printer? Like, how do you see that playing out um, from what you've experienced so far?
1: Yeah, this is a really important conversation. Um, And I want to make sure that I, that I get it right because I, I personally believe that Bitcoin will have a massive Just writing myself a couple notes. We'll have a massive ramification on the political system. I think it will have a massive ramifications on the United States and the world. So for 10,000 years, we've been corrupting and debasing money. You know, that's about how long it's been around as a technology. Um, It's had really, really bad impacts on society. Um, Anytime we, Debase or corrupt money too much, especially when it's a world power that's doing so it has pretty horrible things happen in and around when the money is debased or corrupted. I mean, I know, you know, the stories like when the Romans debased their silver denarii down to like a fraction of the silver that it had, the soldiers were just ultimately unwilling to fight for the currency, uh, as payment and was a large part in why Rome collapsed. There had a broad, uh, very large border that they needed to protect and soldiers that were unwilling to fight for it. So, you know, that was a very, it was a very bad event for Rome, uh, massive collapse, massive global collapse. Pretty sure that was a big part of what led to the, the dark ages as well. Um, we've also seen it with the transatlantic slave trade when the Europeans came south and realized that the African nations were using glass agri beads, which are just like basically just pieces of glass as currency they realized that they had a massive opportunity in front of them and they started to create massive amounts of these glass agri beads which are later dubbed slave beads because the europeans had advanced glass making ability at the time and the african nations did not there was so much glass made there were so many glass beads made that the Africans actually started to sell each other into slavery because they thought they were getting untold sums of wealth. So some just very evil stuff uh, that has occurred because of that. And that led to the transatlantic slave trade, slave uh, trade occurring to the levels that it did, right? Like it may have still happened, but it, it was dramatically worse because of it. We also saw in Nazi Germany when the Weimar Republic hyperinflated due to currency debasement, that it led to the rise of, hitler and nazi germany which resulted in world war ii and the deaths uh genocide of millions of jewish families and humans and kids and mothers all across the planet so just really 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 evil stuff happens when when you break money right because you can debase it right and that's like causes problems but when you break it it's like you know when money dies like it just society itself collapses it's the base layer communication layer across the planet for value. Um, So ultimately, like you can have the conversation around how Bitcoin fixes that, that's a long conversation. Um, I think that Bitcoin fixes that because you can't debase it, you can't corrupt it. And so now we have this perfect pristine collateral money that can be transported at a speed of light for nearly free transaction fees all across the planet. And humans can never control it ever again. So it kind of fixes that issue of like being able to break the money because we as human beings, just how we have shown that we cannot resist the temptation to break the money, to debase and corrupt and destroy money. Like we, we just can't help ourselves. It's like over too long of a time, time arc. And it's too power. It's too much power to be had in the moment. Um, And it results in kind of what we're seeing today, right? Like we're seeing massive amounts of inflation. We're seeing the money supply doubled in a very short period of time in one of the most powerful countries on earth. Um, We're seeing other countries, their currencies are collapsing. And then we have Bitcoin where it can't be corrupt. It can't be debased. And hopefully we can kind of squeeze it in at the last second to really stop ourselves from collapsing. But some of the positive impacts politically, this is a little bit of a segue now, you know, Bitcoin fixes that problem. It fixes the money problem, fixes the monetary debasement problem. Um, There's a few routes we could go down on how this will Fix the political system. One Where I was that-
0: going was um, just to just to guide a little bit. Um, th- as I understand today, you know, you mentioned before that there was no funding cap on political donations in the local area that you live in. Um, the ability to print money, and then that money is basically sold as debt and then the organizations that receive this are able to then deploy it wherever they want and some right. of that's into lobbying organizations which essentially are highly paid people that end up in political positions to massage legislation in destinations they want to go so political parties are going to come under strain when their buddies in the money printing world can't just create money for them out of nowhere and the political scientists have all of these grand ideas of, um, you know, let's build this infrastructure over here and let's like subsidize people in old age and let's do all these wonderful things that, you know, in theory make society much better, but we need to pay for it in such a way that, you know, it's possible. The, the, the ability right. to fund legislation is going to change. The ability to fund political um, campaigns is going to change. That, that's kind of where I was going with like, you know, what, what happens when Bitcoin is far more central sure. to our society.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But there's something very specific that occurs when you take that power away from the federal government, Um, it will result in more focus being on the productive class instead of the political class. So right now you're incentivized to get extremely close to the government. You are really forced to get close to the political system in order to give yourself a regulatory moat in order to give yourself funding as an organization so that you can outcompete your opponents the market that we live in today behooves you to spend more money on politics than it does to r&d into your own company because you can create a regulatory moat for yourself that's it's impo- impossible to 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 cross over and so because bitcoin is being has been created and is will eventually become the standard you know obviously this is a very long time frame it leads to less focus on the federal government and more focus on the productive class but that will have other political ramifications so because the current system we live in is the federal government having a lot of power it's sucking a lot of the control that the states have had historically so the united states is very different from any other political structure we have 50 small countries inside of one federal system each of those countries or states is more or less like a sovereign nation in and of itself and we all kind of agree to work together under the federal system but what's happened over time is a lot of that power has been sucked towards the federal government a lot of the decision-making ability has been taken away from the states and this has caused a lot of problems it's caused a lot of political divisiveness division in this country so that's a huge issue in america today and across the world the political division is at all-time highs and it's created because there's a centralization of power where if you don't end up having control over that centralized body of government you have a lot to lose like you're going to get screwed over and so ultimately what's happened is because there's all this centralization of power the people in in power are using that to target their political opponents we see it with justin trudeau um he is whether you agree with his decision or not, use that system to cut people out of the economics, the the economic rails that exist today. And as time goes on, this is going to continue to spin out of control because I might be a conservative and you might be a extreme left person and we don't agree on anything, but that's fine. We can live in different States, but now the federal government has gotten so powerful that if I let you take over the federal government, You can like tell me what to do, even though I live in a totally different state. And this is true with the entire country or the entire world, right? It's, it's happening on a global scale, but people need to be able to coalesce and form into tribes where they agree with each other and not have other people telling them what to do and controlling them. That's what creates division, right? Like you, you want to be with your own people and make your own decisions. And the federal government has gotten so powerful and out of control that it's breaking that system down. And so it behooves you to do whatever you can possible to take over that federal government. That's what part of the reason why there's so much incentive to control it on top of just where the unlimited money printer gets spent as well.
0: And so does that mean that with Bitcoin involved, we'll see a more decentralized society in a sense, or how do you think that will actually translate into daily life?
1: The United States like government was set up in a way where it was, the reason why it was so successful was because it was so decentralized like we have the federal government where you have the president the house the senate the legislator and then you have the states individual those are individual sovereign countries and we've gone drawn towards centralization and now we're going to go back to decentralization and ultimately it's just going to lead to putting more power into the hands of the individual people right now it's like my vote doesn't matter you know being politically active doesn't do anything but we're gonna go back to a place where our elected officials are more beholden to the voters and the voters have a better impact on the political system because they're not being washed out by special interest and large money donors, high net worth individuals, multinational companies who are spending untold sums of money to control that system. We need to, as is you know, wrapping all the way back around, we need to disincentivize the desire to corrupt the government. And once we are able to do that, it will deliver more power back to the individual people.
0: Awesome. And it's, I mean, you've you've summed it up brilliantly there. For people that aren't interested in Bitcoin, you know, I I think about this a lot. Like, how do we orange pill more people? And part of doing a podcast is, you know, that's what this is all about, really, is who knows might listen to this. Um, But we've all been brought up, I say we, so I'm, you know, from the UK, living in Australia. You're based in the States. This this concept of democracy is, you know, you have a say in how the function of the society is, and one just doesn't. One feels completely deluded. It's like, or, or what's the right way of saying it? There's no, um, there doesn't seem to be any feedback, right? They'll take your taxes. And, you know, you vote at some point, and then apparently, you know, that made a difference. But does it? Like, how's that impacted my day-to-day life? So perhaps exactly how you just phrased it is a brilliant way of um, helping get more people interested in Bitcoin is, you know, politically, this is a, a really interesting innovation to help you have more of a say in how your democracy actually functions, um, which I think is probably an underplayed part of this, actually. I haven't spoken about this enough with people in the past. Um, so so I could actually I could talk for hours with you Dennis i absolutely love this conversation um, what i 'd like to do is just finish off in the next kind of five ten minutes or so and talk a bit more about some of the projects you 're involved in so the the live show that you 're starting very soon and equally your role with compass that you mentioned so um, what what an incredible uh, what is that jan twenty one so basically just over twelve months you 've been hustling out in public talking about Bitcoin, and clearly you know there's some great traction. I worked in the startup space for a long time and, you know, to use a kind of lame phrase, but product market fit is really important. And (laughs) it's very obvious when characters kind of reach that point because it, it just kicks off, right? You suddenly have all these conversations. Lots of people are interested. The social media stats, although probably highly addictive, also do portray in some sense, as you mentioned already, the value that's being created by certain profiles and people um so yeah well done on what a journey it's it's probably been um let us know a bit more about what the live show is going to be and 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 what you're going to be doing with compass
1: yeah three things i want to just touch on there before i get you know that one of them is the show but when you said how do we get more people in one way is to you know advertise this as like well if bitcoin takes over give it a bitcoin standard the political process will be less corrupt and will be more beholden to the individual voters i 100 percent agree with that Other ways to get people interested or to get elected officials interested in Bitcoin, really for me has been my focus, is to figure out what it is they're passionate about. Like, what is it that they wake up every day as an elected official and they say, this is the thing I'm gonna fight for. For some, I've heard them say innovation. For others, I've heard them say freedom. Uh, And so you just have to figure out what is that thing? like. Because every elected official has it. Like I don't believe in this bullshit that like, oh, they're, they're just here for power and they're corrupt and da 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 No, no, no. That, there's something inside of them Something's that Something's driving to, them
0: somewhere. There's a there's, there's,
1: there's something there that's where they're willing to die for. Like they're willing to fight for. Every human being has it. Um, and so figuring out what that is is key because it's very easy to tie it to Bitcoin. If it's innovation, well, Bitcoin's very innovative. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the greatest innovations in human history. Uh, if it's about freedom. Bitcoin is also arguably one of the best technologies for freedom in human history. So it's just big about figuring out what that is and tying it
0: in. Um, and Dennis, I'll just riff with you there slightly. Um, yeah. Bitcoin solves so many different problems. So if you're yes. in El Salvador and you're trying to send money to, or you're in the States trying to send money to your you know, cousin in El Salvador, Western Union's dog turd. I recently uh, interviewed a, a wonderful guy, Lord Fusitua, who's from Tonga. And Tonga Oh, I love has, that guy too. Yeah, he, he has, he's a legend, right? And um, they have the same problem, you know, 50% of their GDP is disappearing in fees, you know, something stupid like that, or 50% of their GDP right. is remittance, of which 30% disappears in fees. Um, so one problem there is like moving money across borders. And then another might be how to finance political parties or political movements without, you know, devaluing the the average voter. That there's so many different problems that get solved. My case was storing wealth over time. Um, it, it's... It's the point here is that how you frame the conversation with people is Bitcoin single issue. Yeah, that's um, why it's a
1: single, that's why I'm a single issue voter, man. It's because like <laughs> it fixes all these things. It's not really one issue. It's what's your issue? Bitcoin fixes. We've got it. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like what, I mean, so there's yeah, there are so very this, few issues that don't get fixed by it. Trying to get into least,
0: someone's head is so like, what's the problem that this person has? And how yeah. can I prove that Bitcoin solves it for them? And that's or, really the, like the kind of the philosophy, I think.
1: <laughs> or like, at least it has a positive impact. Like maybe it doesn't solve the problem, but it has a positive mm. impact. Because some people will say like, well, how does it solve or how does it help with gay rights? And I'm like, well, it definitely gives you the ability to transfer wealth without having to ask the state for permission. Like you can, you can give wealth from your one, from yourself to your partner without having to be concerned about whether the country because this isn't just an american thing but like the country you live in allows that to happen Mm, legally mm. because all of our money and everything we own is digital or is controlled by the state like transferring a title from one person to the next like you can't just do that you have to ask for
0: approval yeah yeah so if
1: you're a disenfranchised group or if you are a group that is oppressed politically like bitcoin is great for that because it helps you protect yourself but your wealth, but it also helps you to transition, transfer your wealth to your next of kin or to your partner without having to ask the state for that, the ability to do that. Like some people like get into those weird like angles or like try to tear apart the idea. And mm-hmm. I'm like, again, it doesn't solve, there will always be problems in the world. Mm-hmm. Like once we, my thesis is that once we get Bitcoin pushed forward, that it will solve a lot of issues and will help fix a lot of problems. And then it will show us what's left over like what are the real issues that we can tackle cuz we can't even we can't even figure out like how to advance human society because we're so torn apart by the fiat system and then every cycle it collapses over and over yeah. again so we're having this very difficult like problem of like escaping as as a civilization into like what some people like Kardashev 1 Kardashev 2 like some people talk yeah. about that kind of like we have a very difficult time escaping this this these cycles because the money keeps collapsing Mm. Um, We we might do it again in the near term, possibly. So once we solve the money problem and the money problem solves a lot of the issues we have on the planet, then we can start to really figure out like, okay, how do we really advance the human condition and the human experience? So that's why I'm a single issue voter and I don't, you know, people try to tear that idea apart and be like, well, what about Mayor Eric Adams? I'm like, I didn't, listen, you gotta vet the people. Mm. Mayor Eric Adams clearly didn't understand Bitcoin. I never voted for him, first of all, cause I don't live in New York, but second of all, cause I, I just never thought he was a true, like fully on Bitcoin guy. So mm. uh, very important to vet the people, but um, some, one other thing that I wanted to talk about just with politics briefly before we go. No,
0: no, go on. I mean, I, I've, I've got a question I'm gonna ask you that's gonna take a while to answer. So let's just go for it, come on.
1: <laughs> just um, the reason I jumped into politics is because I woke up one day and I realized it was a fantasy for me to leave the United States. That my family would not come with me, uh, that if I, like, and I also didn't ever want to be put in a situation where there's a gun being put to my head and saying, you got to sell your Bitcoin. Like, we don't allow Bitcoin in the USA, right? Like, it could be a metaphorical gun, like financial exclusion or whatever, right? Like, it doesn't have to be a literal gun, but I never wanted to deal with that situation. I'm never going to be able to convince my family to move to more friendly Bitcoin shores. So I just woke up one day and was like, screw this. I don't care what Bitcoiners think about me because they're going to hate me for being super hyper-political. I'm going to do everything in my power to advance Bitcoin politically in the United States and prove that it is a politically popular idea to be pro-Bitcoin. And no one, no one was pro-Bitcoin. There were, no, there were very few politicians that are pro-Bitcoin before. I wouldn't say that I'm the main reason, obviously that I'm not going to take full credit, but before I started to move that direction, there, was, there wasn't this like, oh, like all these politicians like rooting for it. Now it's like boring. If a yeah. politician says they're pro Bitcoin, they're like, so what? Yeah, yeah. Guy's yeah. probably a scammer. <laughs> Whereas, like, you, if you put Bitcoin in your bio as a congressman, like, you know, you'd explode in popularity overnight. Now, it doesn't do anything. They're like, oh, whatever. What, yeah. Are you going to release? You gotta go pass a bill or something, right? Like, get something done. But that's yeah. been part of my thesis all along: is that we need to continually push this forward as a popular political idea get not only political candidates that are not in office to be on board so that they incentivize incumbents to be on board. So that eventually what happens is it's a, it's a feedback loop. Now the expectations are higher. They don't just want you to be pro Bitcoin. uh, They want you to pass legislation. They want you to introduce a bill. And then eventually that's not going to be enough. They want you to pass a bill. Right? So it's like our standards are raising and that's a good thing. We should, want our standards to raise. We want it to raise to the point where we won't tolerate anything less than you passing a bill for us as a group, because that's what we want in order to vote for you and to give you money as a politician. And that's happening right now. That's that the expectation for what people want out of a politician has dramatically shifted. When I helped Erica Rhodes launch her, her movement into the Bitcoin space, it was like they were just pumped to have a pro Bitcoin Democrat. Now it's like they... That, that opportunity is gone. Like you can't just be pro-Bitcoin and a Democrat and get famous. Like it's, it's, you have to do something much more than that now in order to get famous. But that's important that that bar continually rise and continue, continue to get higher um, so that we can get real results in this country.
0: It's fascinating. It, it's, it's probably happening in all manner of different... I'm going to call it a marketplace, just Bitcoin and politics is a marketplace, you know, Bitcoin and health is a marketplace, Bitcoin and you know, energy is a marketplace, just different facets of how society functions, it'll be this, this kind of like step change, you know, the, the wow factor has worn off, you know, as you mentioned, yeah. putting Bitcoin in your bio, that is no longer a big deal. So what's no. going to become a big deal? How do you get the headlines? What, what is going to be a, a bit of organic public relations, orange, a bit of a victory, you know,
1: orange um, pilling Trump.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, he's just the kind of character that might do something like that. Um, and, w- and why not? Nothing's impossible, right? The, the, the question I wanted to get into actually, um, it's, you know, you, you, you have likely read the, the sovereign individual and it's incredible and it's, um, insights from 20 years ago to now, um, the the anarchists in the Bitcoin space. Interestingly, you've kind of slightly answered this already about fucking don't care what other Bitcoiners think about me. If I'm going to be political and also be into Bitcoin, fuck them. I'm going to do it. <clears throat> um, but do you see a um, a bit of a collision here where? you know, the, the society that we built, we've been kind of conditioned to think that democracy is the right way to run a society and mm. to have political class and have a political party and to to utilize bureaucracy to to manage ourselves. Um, but there are people out there that will say, well, we don't need any of that any longer because we have a neutral monetary network that we can trust that um, is more of a kind of libertarian philosophy, shall we say, that uh, enables people to, to act and behave out of their free will, but also, you know, yeah. Rationally, in a way that, like, we can actually, um, we can deploy capital more effectively than ever before. Do you, how, how do you see those kind of characteristics like interplaying? Because you know, this is a massive question: how is society going to be structured in yeah. the future? I don't know, and, and and frankly, neither do you. That's not the point. It's about yeah. how do we feel, like, where do we see this going? And yes, in the short term, I can see, as you're already brilliantly explaining, there's going to be a profound change to the political landscape it's already happened in 18 months and just think what's happened in 18 months is going to speed up mm-hmm. you're going to start to see legislation come through that's going to give you know bitcoin mining companies all sorts of aggressive tax breaks or it's going to give bitcoin you know no capital gains tax that's just the most blatantly obvious one right give let people use it as a currency um yeah, how do you see that playing out then those kind of like different world yes. views and, and how we're we going to structure ourselves in the future
1: yeah. You know, I just, I like the idea that government is going to change. I, I think that it will. I Will it stop being called government? You know, just like how we stopped having kings and queens, right? It's like government changes uh, or will change and it may change enough where we stop calling it government. Just like how the the ruling system changed enough where we stopped calling them kings and queens. That's, that's possible. We could transition into a new era where there's a completely different way of, of self-organizing in our communities. Some people talk about city-states, totally think it's a great idea, could happen. Um, Potentially in our lifetime could be something that starts to occur to happen. I I don't know. Personally, I look at like the next 50 to 100 years and I don't see that happening at a large scale. Maybe at a small scale, it could happen. And I could be wrong. Like you get, no one knows, like you said. My personal opinion is that we will
0: see- Like how have you drawn the dots and how do you expect that to play out?
1: We will see a massive reduction in the power of government to the point where it's, it's just a much smaller entity in and of itself over the next fifty hundred years. Like you can't continue to grow and fund massive amounts of bureaucracy when you don't have an unlimited money printer. It's impossible.
0: It's impossible, right? yeah.
1: So you'll see a shrink in government, an appropriate shrink. Things that don't matter, that we don't need anymore will go away. Um, that's a good thing. I think that voting will still occur, whether we do it on a blockchain, whether we have like a more secure system. I, I really I I have no idea. I don't think that voting goes away anytime soon. I think it's just, we removed, separated money from politics. We didn't destroy politics. We didn't destroy government. We just took away the thing that they can't stop abusing. It doesn't mean that it's government itself is going to evaporate and, and cease to exist. So in the future, I think smaller government, more states' rights, more individual freedom, more like political class being more beholden to the people, less focused on the political class, more focus on the productive class. That's just kind of like where I see things going. And I, I, I don't I don't see anybody able to make a argument that you know, all the states and all the federal government and and every country on earth is gonna like not exist anymore. Like borders are gonna be gone or like they're gonna be redrawn. Like if that happens, like really bad things probably happen on the on that path. And some people believe that. They believe we're headed towards this like really dark time everything's going to fall apart it's going to be cataclysmic and like terrible i just i don't see that future i think um i think we we narrowly escape world war three and the collapse of society with bitcoin like i don't know if it's a time traveler or just extremely good timing but i think bitcoin barely saves us from that sort of a future we may be bumpy along the way but i don't see a world where you know nukes are going off and the world is collapsing
0: no and it comes down to this whole concept of incentive like what's the point nuking someone Um, in the past, you know, military might was an integral part of uh, wealth accrual. So the biggest army became the wealthiest because they could just kill everyone. And therefore, you know, either you got killed and had your stuff taken, or you just gave it to them and then you survived and potentially had a way of (laughs) creating more wealth some other way. Um, Bitcoin changes that whole dynamic in terms of how you can potentially create wealth. And arguably, it's people sitting on the largest uh, energy resources that have got, the best kind of opportunity in the next 100 years right. to accrue some of this uh this this nascent technology but um
1: usa usa yeah and the states will <laughs> be so got a lot. strong at this. i mean i'm based in we have australia. an incredible amount of energy here
0: well and, and I'm, I'm i have a, a telegram group that i set up called bitcoin mining australia and there are people doing some incredible stuff all over oz and That's oz is, is the size of a continent right it's yeah. absolutely fucking massive and the amount of natural gas and other forms of energy that are in stranded locations that couldn't possibly be monetized in the current situation they're in, but are now potentially monetizable because of Bitcoin mining. This is extraordinary. Um, and even going back to Lord Fosatua, he's got volcanoes in Tonga and he's going to be able to potentially monetize that geothermal energy. Like the, the whole the dynamic of military operations has completely changed forever. And there's a, there's a few people that understand this. There are many people that haven't yet realized.
1: Have you had Jason Lowry on yet?
0: I haven't had Jason on yet, no. But he, he, he so does good. have some incredible insights. So I've listened to his um, yeah. what, is Money, what Is Money shows. And I'll definitely, definitely reach out to him and, and, uh, and ask him for a conversation. But it's that kind of cool thing to your point. Like, are we going to see a shitload of nukes go off when actually you can get rich a different way? Possibly not or equally like the private property rights that exist today, why would you just like shred all of them when they could still exist going forwards and people are able to access the system on a more meritocratic way? Um, that also to me doesn't really play out. So to your point, I- I'm, I'm less bearish in that sense of like complete global meltdown. Um, and I see just a, a little bit of a, a rejigging as to how the political landscape functions from a perspective of how it's financed and therefore how it's motivated almost exactly the way that you see it, but I hadn't had researched and looked into it as much as obviously your experience brings to the table. So no, I mean, thank you so much for sharing all of this, Dennis. Um, yeah. I'll, I want to just jump into where we were trying to go, which was around uh, the the live show you're starting and your role with compass. Thank if you. you have any other points you want to jump in on, then please do.
1: No, we, we covered one. Thank you for letting me talk because um, it's, Very helpful to be able to get the ideas out. Hopefully I was able to get them out and communicate them. There was a couple there that I really felt like I was able to kind of finally clearly communicate and a couple that, came up because of that that I need to yeah. you know well, kind that's of keep what always working on with um organic
0: conversation no well you know what it was Dennis yeah. I said to you before we started we'll shoot for an hour and I've looked over and I've realized my wife actually got the shopping that I needed to go and get before I started work so <laughs> I was like oh sweet I've got there an extra go. half an hour so we can carry on and, it, and it's often the way that you know if you're trying to keep everything to a fixed hour so I, I don't necessarily prepare I think organic conversation is by far the best way of of understanding how someone feels and I'm really keen to learn about people's characteristics and what drives them. And, you know, I didn't even get to dump it, you know, dive into how, how it felt to hit rock bottom, you know, and that's a whole conversation for another episode. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, we, I mean, it was we feeling like shit. You're like, what the hell happened? So I, I didn't even get the chance to ask about that. Um, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll keep that for another time. Cause hopefully we'll get the chance to chat again in the future. So yeah, let, let's, let's look to wrap things up a little bit. So, um, you have a role with Compass Mining that uh, I heard about recently. Well done. And you're also starting a live show. So let us know about that.
1: Yeah, I got brought on as the executive producer for Compass Mining. So they have a media arm. Uh, we'll be doing a lot of new content. We'll have our... Th- this episode probably won't come out in time, but tomorrow we'll be doing our, launching our series of spaces that we'll be doing. Um, and then in two weeks from... Let's see. Well, it's a little over two weeks. May 4th on Hal Finney's birthday, I will be launching a new live show at 9 30 a.m pdt uh, what is that a, a noon 9 10 11 12 i just have to count on my fingers right <laughs> uh, noon 12:30 30 pdt uh, p.m pdt uh, eastern time and the point of the show is to just go through all the things that have been going on in the in the bitcoin space go through the news go through the current events you know, the price of Bitcoin, where it's at, where we expect things to go. Um, Also talk about the latest in mining, um, mining stocks and mining hardware, where the future of mining is going. Because, you know, obviously with Compass, there's some good information that we have available to us due to that relationship. the
0: The live show is part of your role with Compass, or that's a separate project of your own?
1: Well, they're going to be helping me with it. They're very involved in that process. And I'm very excited to have them as... Um, you know team members and we're kind of figuring out exactly like how it's described or you know how, how it's not a it's not compass's show but it, it, i'm the host and yeah uh, they're going to be helping me launch it so, and very so you're just going
0: to do it um as a solo host going through the news yourself you're going to have guests join or how are you going to play it
1: yeah so we'll have folks from the compass team working with me on it as well like helping to either come on as co-host occasionally help me run through things Also bringing on guests, planning to get a, trying to get a really great guest for the launch on May 4th. So TBD on who that will be. Got a couple people that I'm having conversations with to see what works for their schedule. But yeah, May 4th, 9.30 a.m. PDT. Um, We'll probably put the link down in the show notes for people if they're interested in listening to that show. But I've done a lot of interviews and a lot of live content with Twitter spaces. Mm -hmm. And I've just found that there's this missing piece to the space, which is just condensing all of the information down. You know, I love these long form conversations. In fact, I'm very happy to be brought on here today, but there's a lot of podcasts with long form conversation and there's a lot of busy Bitcoiners that don't have time to sit down for every single one of these podcasts or to be on Twitter all day long, or to suss out all of the important news or political events that are occurring or understand whether, you know, mining stocks are a better play than Bitcoin with the current market price, right? Like we're just going to bring on experts and also myself as a you know, somewhat of an expert myself in various fields. And we're going to go down the rabbit hole on each one of those and deliver that information in just a very condensed one hour, hopefully one hour or less, you know, sometimes it could go over, but try to get it really short. And then also once we've gone live, uh, for those that have missed it, we're going to break the segments up into pieces and launch them on the channel as well. So that people right. can really just get the information that they want and get out. And then they can come to your show for the long form conversation. You know, they can come to the other podcasts when they want that really organic convo, but just trying to deliver like fine-tuned information that every Bitcoiner wants. And oftentimes they're not getting enough of.
0: Fantastic. I look forward to, um, to watching out for that. And I mean, just to rhyme off that for a second, I see a huge opportunity in the media space for Bitcoin. And that's purely just driven by adoption. If you think today there are, I don't know, a hundred, 150 million people that have Bitcoin and that's going to increase by, you know, 10 X in the near near future. These are all, you know, that's another 900 million people that need to learn about this stuff and how they're going to find out about it. Are they going to find out about it online? Are they going to choose to do it with a podcast? Maybe. Are they going to watch it on YouTube? Maybe. Or Odyssey or any other different platform that's doing things a little differently. Um, So yeah, awesome. No, I look forward to to watching that and good luck with the project. Um, And and briefly, just to summarize, so Compass Mining. So can you tell us a little bit about them in case there's any listening that don't know about Compass?
1: Yeah, Compass Mining essentially just gives the average person the ability to mine Bitcoin without having to start up your own operation and host your own miners. So you can buy miners through them and then they'll host them for you. Makes it super simple, super easy. Got a ton of friends who are using the service and love it. And uh, yeah, it's it's... It's a great way to earn bitcoin um and it's a great way to mine bitcoin without having to deal with all the logistics of mining bitcoin itself
0: yeah i love the concept it's a really um it's a really nice play in that space well dennis lastly um where can people reach you if they want to get in touch
1: yeah biggest place to reach me is twitter Uh, my handle is dennis underscore porter underscore or you can just search Dennis Porter on Twitter. I'm lucky to be the only uh, semi-popular Dennis Porter on <laughs> the internet right yeah. now. So and I've taken over all of, I've SEO, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm SEOed out and I didn't even try. Uh, search me on Google, you'll find me as well, top, top results. So that's where my, my show is. Also Dennis Porter right now, although we're gonna be relabeling, rebranding that for the new show launch here soon, but you can search me on there. You should be able to find it um, pretty easily. Uh, but yeah, DM me on Twitter anytime. My DMs are always open.
0: Awesome. Well, Dennis, thanks so much for taking the time to have the conversation today. Really appreciate it and um, enjoyed hearing your story. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Jake. Appreciate you bringing me on.
0: Pleasure.